You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. This Sunday, we continue the beginning sermon series. Here's Pastor Rick with part two of a sermon that's simply titled, How? So here's where I want to begin this morning. In 1930, an economist named J.M. Keynes, I don't really know him, he, he believed that there were going to be so many advances in technology that by the time his grandchildren were grown, they would only work about three hours a day. He's talking about us. How's that three-hour-a-day work schedule going for you and me? It's not happening for me. Is it you? I mean, that, that's what he believed. But, you know, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? The more stuff we have to save time, it seems like the less time we've actually got when we look at the end of the day, right? It's just that way. And then, but here's the really... Here's the really bad part about that is what ends up being is we end up giving God the leftovers. And there's not a whole lot left over, is there? Uh, I want to, I let, me, let me just get, God has also become an often ignored spoke in the wheel of our busy lives, okay? God has often become, uh, God has become an often ignored spoke in the wheel of our busy lives, now, if you've ever uh, termed God like one of the spokes, or maybe you use something like that, that he's one of the spokes of your life, you know, he's one of those things, I want to challenge that today. I, I want, actually, I want to destroy that today. If that's the way you view God, I want to destroy that today. Uh, I, I want us to go way beyond that because if, if that's where you are, you're barely at the beginning. And if you've been there 30 or 40 years, you're still at the beginning. God's not supposed to be a spoke. I, I'll tell you what I mean by that. In this message today, okay. So, so first of all, let's talk a little bit about about our time, okay? Uh, the 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 amount of time that we spend in an average lifetime. Next slide, if you will, for me, Kevin. In an average lifetime, we spend 17 years trying to lose weight. 17 years. Now that's the average, okay? Some of us don't work on it as hard as others, and so, you know, some of us don't care. Some of us are just blessed, right? Uh, we also spend nine years watching TV. And you know what? The crazy thing about that is over two of those years are watching commercials. Two of the, now, now with DVRs, maybe we don't watch quite as much, right? Uh, and then uh, next is uh, four years eating. Yeah, anybody want to go for five? Come on, Sergio, me and you going to go for five, right? Yeah, let's do it. Strawberry cake, right? Uh, and then three years doing laundry. I, th- I thought about taking that one down. I was afraid I would just depress you ladies. Three years doing laundry. One and a half years in the bathroom. Now, I really want to make some comments here, <laughs> but propriety dictates that I just move on, okay? <laughs> y'all just go ahead, y'all talk about that later on the way home or whatever, okay? And half of us spend eight years shopping. I'll let you guys guess which half of the population spends eight years shopping, okay? All right, now, here, take this a little deeper, okay? That's just a few things I thought were kind of cute to get you connected here a little bit. Let me show you a pie chart, okay? This is a pie chart of, of the average way we spend our, over a lifetime, the average way we spend our time. Now, we know that we spend about a third of our time sleeping, right? So that's, that's no big no big surprise, right? And I know some of you say, well, I don't sleep that long, but you got to think, you know, when, when we're... When we're really, really young, we sleep a lot more, and we don't work at all, you know? So, so it, we do sleep a lot more. And then when we're really, really old, 
we don't work and we probably still sleep a lot more, right? So it kind of it uh, gets skewed in those years. Uh, but there, there's work, you know, and, and look at all that leisure time and TV and the television. I already told you that you spend nine years of your life watching TV, you know, and movies and things like that. Then you add to that, you know, time on your cell phone and all of that recreation, sporting, and all of those kinds of things. A whole lot of stuff going on there and all the things. These, you know, these, these are the things that we spend all of our time on. But look at that little sliver there, that little blue sliver there, you know, at about 8 o'clock or 8.30, right there in the, in the clock. Religion, church, prayer, etc. Look at that little bit. You know, see, see, this is what I mean by the beginning. Is it's when you become a Christian, that's what happens to us. When we become a Christian, we try to squeeze just a little bit of time. What can we find for God? What can we find for church? What can we find for, for prayer? What can we find to, to actually read our Bible? And, and, and so, as I was saying just a few moments ago, I mean, that's one of the sad things about this is, is it's like God begins to be that often ignored spoke at will, but God gets our leftovers. If you look at that, say, man, there's not much left over. Maybe we can find some more of that miscellaneous stuff up there that we can give to God, right? I mean, th that's where we are. That's, a, that's where most people are in their life. If they're trying, it's like they're trying to find a way to squeeze God into their busy schedule. That's not, that's not really the way it works. And, and I want to show you that in this message today, I hope, okay? But if you'll notice in there, what is the focus of all of that time? Or maybe I should say, who is the focus of all of that time? Look at that. How much time do we spend focused on doing something for others? They're volunteering right there. Ooh, that's, yeah, volunteer. Look at that. It's about, about as much. That's okay. You can go ahead and put up me because that's the focus, isn't it? That's the focus. The focus is me. I, I mean, everything up there. I mean, sleeping, a half, you know, a third of it. Yeah, that's for me. You know, the work. I mean, that's for me. It's not for my boss. It's for me to make a paycheck. You know, all, my, all that leisure time and all that, I mean, just, just the three biggest things right there. Yeah, that's for me. Everything is about me. So, so what is happening? All of this stuff that we're doing is flowing in to me. To me. Next slide. Show us that. Just, it's all flowing into me. It's all coming to me. Everything I'm doing is for me. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for me. Maybe we do a little bit, you know, a little bit of volunteering. Maybe we do a little bit of that. But everything is, even like education there. The education, it's for me. It's not for somebody else. Everything is about, and so we become the hub. Everything is about me and everything's flowing into me. But you know what you get when everything is flowing into one place and there's never an outlet? You know what you get? Y'all ever seen a cesspool? I know, you, I know you don't want to think about that kind of thing. Now, somebody's saying, what in the world is a cesspool? Because we don't use them a lot these days. I know where a few are. I could take it there. But if you don't know what one is, just Google it and look at the picture, okay? And you'll say, that's what happens when everything flows in and nothing ever flows out. When everything is about, that's, that's what will happen to our lives. You may think, well, everything seems to be going pretty good. I'm, I'm not a cesspool. I don't, I don't feel like I'm a cesspool. And everything seems to be going pretty good. But, but there's coming a day, if everything is about you and, every, and you're the hub and everything is flowing into you, there is coming a day, there's coming a, a moment in your life where you're going to hit a dead end. You're going to burn out. You're not going to have the answers. You're going to get to a place where even your victories and your wins are no longer satisfying even the successes that you're having in life are no longer fulfilling. Let me give you some examples, okay? From the Bible, Judas. You know Judas. One of the 12 disciples, he, he uh, betrayed Jesus the night before his death. That's, that's how they found him. That's how they were able to take him without a big riot. They, Judas led them to it. Judas was living the dream 
I mean, the, the, the thing that the Jews of, of Ju- Judas's time, the thing is, if you were living at that time, they were looking for the Messiah to come. Judas didn't just live during that time. Judas walked with the Messiah. I mean, he, he was living the dream. He was, he was hanging out with Jesus. I mean, they were, they were camping out, you know, every night. Maybe sometimes they had somewhere to stay. But, you know, they were going everywhere. I mean, he was hearing the words of life from the Son of God speaking to him every day. He was watching Jesus perform miracles. He was even being a part of that. You remember like the loaves and fish, that miracle that Jesus did? The disciples were even a big part of that. They were bringing, they were the ones bringing people to him. They were the ones managing the crowds. I mean, he was a part of great miracles. But about three years in, about three years in, and there's a lot of, a lot of conjecture, a lot of speculation about why, uh, why, why Judas did this. You know, some people say, well, uh, some people have, have theorized that, you know, Judas, he, he saw other leaders during that time. And he, he saw the, the political and, and the cultural climate. And he knew that, wait a minute, if you're going to get ahead and if we're going to have a great move, you know, like this Christian move that we're going to have, then there's going to have to be some things to do. And Jesus wasn't going that direction. And so maybe Judas did this to force Jesus' hand. Maybe, you know, some people said he probably thought that, that when Jesus was arrested, you know, then he would just throw back, you know, kind of do the Superman thing, and he'd become the Son of God, you know, and he would, he would then bring to pass the, the kingdom. That maybe, maybe we don't really have any evidence that's really what he was doing. It just really looks like it was all about him, that he was the hub. That this thing of G- with Jesus wasn't going, it, it was pretty awesome, but it wasn't going my way. I got, I got to get me something out of this. And so he got himself 30 pieces of silver. And here's the sad thing, is Judas ended up being the only one of the 12 disciples who died not still preaching Jesus. Every other one, every other disciple, when they died, they were preaching, they were writing, they were proclaiming, they were still yelling Jesus' name and a lot of them died because of that. But even John, who, who didn't, die a, uh, didn't die a martyr's death on the Isle of Patmos, he was still writing, he was still preaching, he was still sharing the Word of God, every one of them. If you think about it, uh, we, we, we name our kids after all those other 11 guys. I mean, you look around here, here in our church, we got Jameses and Johns and Andrews and Phillips, and, right? We got a Phillips and we got, we got Thomases and... and there's a Thomas right over there. I got Matthews, but we don't have a Judas. Matter of fact, you know what? I don't think I've ever met a Judas. You know, I've met some Simons. I've met some, you know, some Th- Thaddeuses, you know. I've met some, but I've, and Bartholomews, yeah. But I've not ever met a Judas. How did, it, how did that happen? Because it was all about him. Or Abraham. Remember Abraham? Now, Abraham also was living the dream. God says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do for you. I, I'm, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to give you a land that is your land from now for forever. And it's going to be for your descendants. Make this great nation out of you. And, and, and everybody in the world is going to be blessed because of you and because of your descendants. I'm going to do all this for you. And, and, and I'll, there's, there's some scripture there. Go ahead in the next slide. There's scripture there. And listen, the whole story, I've got it linked uh, on that, uh, that page that uh, Brent was talking about earlier church2911.com slash connect. Go to the sermon notes and you can see all of the scriptures that are there. But this other thing that, that Abraham was worried because he didn't have an heir. He didn't actually have a son. He said, my heir is going to be some, some kid born to one of the servants in my house. And God said, no, I'm going to give you an heir. Even though you're old and you've not had a kid yet, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be your heir. And that's where all this is going to happen. But it was, it was all of these blessings and all these miracles and all these things that God said, I'm going to do for you. It was that one 
that Abraham couldn't just leave alone. All the things God wanted to do for him, Abraham was like, bring it on, God, I'm good. But there was that one that Abraham just had to help, had, had to tweak a little bit. Now, Sarah was the one that kind of maybe got the thought going as far as the scripture tells us right there. And she said, if we're going to have a kid, you're going to have to have another wife. And so she brought him her servant. And Abraham said, well, that's all right. I'll take, I'll take a second wife. So he took a second wife, and she was born. Now, Ishmael was born. And now, listen, uh, let me try to wrap this up real quick right here. This would be a really good place to preach for a while. This, and this would be a really good place somebody wants to talk this week. I'd love to discuss this for a little while, okay? I wish Abraham had not tried to tweak the plan of God. But even after he did, I'm going plan, to plant a little seed in some of your thoughts for you to be thinking about this week. Even, even though he did, if he had just treated that son, Ishmael, if he had just treated that secondary wife, Hagar, if he had just treated them right, then maybe Abraham would not have created the family feud that is still seething in this world today. If you don't know what all that means, I don't have time to dig into all of it, but it's the Arab-Israeli conflict that came as a result of this right here. Why? Because Abraham let it be all about him. I gotta have a son, I gotta have a son, I gotta have a son, I gotta have a son. And he had to make it all about him. Or what about Noah? Man, Noah, Noah's another sad state. I mean, we look at Noah's life and you think, man, this is awesome. He was hearing God talk and, and God said, build an ark and this is exactly how I want you to build the ark. And it was, it was even measurements and like I said last week, the exact specs that he needed to build the ark. And so God did this. But then it was then right after that in the scripture, even though it was probably a few years later, right after that in the scripture, you know what we see? We see after the flood, this is Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, Noah began to cultivate the ground. He planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made and he became drunk and he lay naked inside of his tent. Man, after all that, he was, he was living the dream. God had saved his family. He was living the dream. God, please, please help me. Let, let this not be the epitaph. Let this not be the last words written about me in my life. I got drunk when I was laying in my tent naked. God, please. Let that not be the last thing that people remember that happened in the life of, uh, of my life as it was with Noah. You see, here's, here's what happened with Noah. Noah saved his family, and then he lost them. He lost, he lost uh, uh, Canaan. He lost Cush. And I believe even he, the, the respect that he had out, out of Shem and Japheth because uh, read the scripture. Go there to the Sunday, or the, the Connect page, my sermon notes, and read the scripture and see the story there and what they had to do. To, we don't really know exactly what happened, but it wasn't a good thing. I mean, when you're, when you're drunk and naked in your tent, not a lot of good stuff happens, you know, when those things, you know. It wasn't a good thing that happened. And so Shem and Japheth, they had to go try to fix this. And I, I imagine they lost a lot of respect for their dad. That, so that's what I mean is he saved his family, and then he lost his family. So get it. There is never a good time to take a break from doing what is right. There is never a good time. You can never get to a place and say, oh, well, I have arrived. No, you've not arrived. It's just the beginning. I've done some awesome things for God. No, it's just the beginning. You know, I don't want it to be over. Are you ready for it to be? You ready to die? Are you ready to go away? You ready? Are you ready? Is it time for the end? Or is it time in your life for the beginning? I'm ready. So I know a lot of you are in your beginning days with Christ. 
But a lot of you feel like you've been there a long time. Don't be like Noah. Don't, don't let things fall apart in the last minute. There is never a good time to take a break from doing what is right. Stick in there with it. Stay right there with it. You see, because this big, beautiful, awesome dream that God has for you, this thing that he's been dreaming about your life, all of your life, even before you were born, when he was creating you in your mother's womb, this big, beautiful, awesome dream, it's not a to-do list. It's not like, check that off, built an ark. Check that off, got the family on board. Check this off. And this, okay, got the to-do list done. I think I'll go get drunk. It's not a to-do list. You don't perform the dream. You live the dream. And, and, and God allows us to live the dream. Judas was living the dream. Abraham was living the dream. Noah was living the dream. But then they let it begin to get about them again. So how am I supposed to live this dream? How am I supposed to? Okay, listen, it's not a to-do list. But God has given us some tools to help us know how to live the dream. Let me, let me tell you about one this morning, real quick if I can. Let me tell you about one, one tool that God has given us to help us understand better how to live the dream. And I'm going to have to hurry here, but I, I want to tell you some things really quick about one of the number one tools God has given us to live the dream. It is the local church body. You need to commit to a local church body. Okay, let me, show you, let me just tell you some things real quick about why. Studies have proven being a committed part of a local church is good for you. Did you know that? There have actually been studies that show that, that it's good for your marriage, it's good for your kids, it's good for your finances, it's good for your emotional health, it's good for inner peace, it's good for your outlook on life. It is even good for your physical health. On the average, people who are committed part of a local church body have better physical health than others who aren't because, because of just a lot of things going on and because of the blessings of God. Now, there's a real important, there's a real important piece of the puzzle in this. Don't, don't lose, there's an important word up there. Don't lose that word, okay? It's that word committed. I didn't say show up. I didn't say visit. I didn't say, I, I didn't say spectate. Is studies have proven those who are a committed part of a local church body. Committed. And let me, I'm going to say something right here that's going to make it easier for me to say this because if I'm not careful, what you're going to say is, he's just trying to get us to work. He's just trying to get us to join 2911. He's just trying to get us to do. No, let me, let me say this. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. If 2911 does not crank your tractor, okay, if it just is not the thing for you, then I want you to go find it. Because you need to find the thing that just excites you. I get to be a part of what is going on at this church. This is a church that is, that is tearing walls down in, in the enemy's kingdom. This is, this is the, the church that is reaching people that, that, is, that, are, that, are not, that don't know Jesus yet. This is a church that, that is, that is uh, helping marriages that are falling apart, bringing them back together and healing. You, you need to find the church that, that excites you like this and says, I want to be a part of that and then commit to it. Don't commit to five. Commit to one. Because you can't commit to five. Like you can't commit to five women. You can't commit to five wives. You can't commit to five churches. Find one. Commit to it. Say, this is mine. I'm putting my feet down here, rolling up my sleeves. I want to be a part of this. And say, listen, understand, remember, I've already told you this in this sermon series. Salvation is free. 
Jesus paid for it. There's not a thing you can do to earn your salvation. I'm not talking about that. I know a whole lot of people that they got salvation, and they're still sitting at the starting line. They just barely got across the starting line. They're sitting there, and they're saved. They're planning on going to heaven and all of that. But you know what they don't have? They, they're not living the dream because they never took the step to find out how to live the dream. Uh, let me show you. Nathan Rose said this. He said, he said, the church is God's primary design for your spiritual growth and well-being. So if you're trying to do it without being committed to the church, you're rowing upstream. I mean, you're trying to get up Niagara Falls. You're doing it without the very primary purpose, the very primary thing that God wants to give you. And, and listen, if it's not, I'm not saying you got to do it here, but commit. Find the place that you believe that this is the church that, that God wants me to be a part of, and then jump in with everything you've got if you want to live the dream. Because we need the church. You don't, you, some, people don't re, some people don't realize the power that is in being committed, connected to a church. We need the church. Let me, let me show you how we need the church. We need other Christians. We need their example. We need their mentoring. We need their prayers. We need opportunities to discover our gifts, our talents, and then we need, we need the opportunities to use our gifts and talents. We need to worship together, which we've been doing this morning. We need to connect in small groups so that we can learn together. We can teach each other. We can learn from what, you know, I can share with you what I've dug out of the Bible and you share with me what you've dug out of the Bible. But, but also, so we can, we can serve together. We can get out in the community and serve together through our small groups. We need to, the chance to impact, have impact on a scale larger than we can do ourselves. We need that opportunity to realize that we're bigger than, than, than we can actually be alone. We, we're doing something so much bigger because we're connected. We need accountability. I'd like to preach there a while. We need challenge, and that'd be a good place to preach too, but I'd really like to preach on that accountability. We need that, and we need grace. And there is not a better place to learn grace and to give grace than in the church, than when people come in that don't know Jesus. It's a great place to just give grace. And when they want to say, well, I'm just, I'm just not like you, say, no, 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 you're exactly like me because you're as forgiven as any of us is. There's not a better place to, 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 to give grace, not a better place to learn about grace, and not a better place to receive grace than in the church. We need the church. You see, learning how to live the dream happens right there in all those things. This, these, are the, these are the things that are happening. People who are living the dream have discovered that, that I need other Christians in my life. I need opportunities to learn about my gifts and talents and places to share them. People who are living the dream know this. That's why, do you have to, be, do you have to attend a church? I don't know that, I don't guess you have to go to church. I believe there are people that are going to be in heaven that didn't go to church. You know, that thief hanging on the cross. So if you want to be like a thief hanging on a cross and get to, get to heaven without going to church, I guess you could do that, right? But this is about the journey on the way there. You want to just get to heaven one day, or do you want to live the dream today right now? That's what this is about. It's not about your salvation. Salvation's bought, paid for, free. You get it. This is about living the dream. And if it's important to you, I think I heard again last week, if it's important to you, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. Yeah? So let's, let's, let's back up to that pie chart again right here. I think that's, okay? 
Everything flowing into me, flowing into me. See, here's where we, here's where we kind of mess this thing up right here. We got God. We're trying to stick God over there in that little religion, little, that little bitty spoke. You know, and, the, and this, this, this spoke, this wheel, has got all these spokes. Some of them are big spokes and some of them are little spokes. Y'all know what spokes are, right? Y'all did all you ride bicycles when you were younger, right? And we, got, we try to stick God in that little religion spoke because we got all this messed up. We don't understand this because, see, that, that's not where God fits. See, because God is not a spoke. God is the hub. God, can I say it again? God is not a spoke. He is the hub. God is not one of the spokes of life. God is the hub of life. God is not one of the things that you can do in life. God is what life is all about. And if you've got God in any place besides the hub, that's where your problem lies. Because most of us, we're trying to squeeze God into that little spoke right there of religion and all of that. And you know what? But that's not where God fits. You know, because your religion, even your prayer time, your church, all that, that's not all that God is. God wants to be so much more. Did, so, so let me show you what it looks like when God's the hub. Did, did you see what it looks like when God's the hub? Hey, did you notice something? Did you notice the arrows have changed? You notice they've changed direction? Because now, all of life is not flowing to me, to just me and me and me trying to gather and get it all and get it all, and, and I just start getting soured, and I just start losing passion for life because it's all about me, all about, that's what happens, you don't, that's what happens. Judah, Abraham, Noah, great examples. It's all about me, it's all about me. But when we make it, when we put God in the, as the hub and we put him in the place where he belongs, Here's what happens is God starts flowing out into us, into every part of our lives. His wisdom, his power, and his anointing start flowing out into all the parts of our lives. You see, as long as I'm the hub, it's all about coming into me. But when I make God the hub, that doesn't mean that I'm giving it all to him. It means he's giving it all to me. It, it, it means that, you know, a lot of times the only, place, the only place a lot of people have in their lives for God is that little religion spoke. It's like they start asking God for wisdom about religion. God, I don't understand this scripture. And so they ask God about that, but that's all they ask God for. God wants to put his wisdom in you in every area of your life. Imagine this week. Imagine this week. You know, if, if God could give you wisdom about your job. That maybe, you're, maybe you've got a situation with a coworker that, that, that maybe God could just give you a word or something to share that's going to just smooth everything over. Or maybe there's a coworker that's going through a tough time and God could give you a word that's just going to settle them and enable them. I had that opportunity this morning already in a place of business I was in and somebody was having a tough day and the Holy Spirit just impressed me and God spoke to me to, to reach out to them. And all the time we get those, imagine if God could do that for you in, in your place of business, or, or maybe your, your business, maybe you're, you don't even have to be the boss. But if your place of business is struggling, then your job's at stake. And so you know what you need to be doing? You need to be praying, God, give me some wisdom. Give somebody around here some wisdom. God, to fix this thing. And God could bring some wisdom. Into that. But, you know, that's just one area of your life. 
God wants to spread his wisdom into every single area of your life. And when wisdom's not enough, and there are times that we need a little more than just wisdom, you know what? He offers us his power. That God wants to send his power into every part of your life. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the one who spoke the worlds into existence he wants to speak power into places of your life where, where you're struggling or things aren't working out. I'm not talking about the pastor saying his words. I'm talking about the Son of God that spoke the worlds into existence to allow him to speak through his power into your life. In every part of your life, that's what he wants to do. But he can't do that if you've got him over there in the spoke. You've got to make him the hub. But I've got to talk about anointing here a little bit too. Not just his wisdom, not just his power. Let me talk about anointing just here just a little bit. Because when you make him the the hub, then you begin to see the anointing start to flow out into every area of your life. What is that anointing? Okay, now anointing, that's that's a weird word for you unless you've been in church all your life. You know, anointing, what does anointing mean? Another word for anointing is unction. Does that help a little bit? Come on, think of unction. Okay, I kind of get that. You're like, "Mm, I got some unction there, something behind me. That's what he is, his anointing. Is like some unction to help you get going. You know, you're a couch potato, you need some unction, right? And that's a little bit of what the anointing is. But here's the way, let me explain it to you in a little bit different way right here today, okay? And does anybody know what WWJD stands for? What would Jesus do? We got that, right? And here's what we normally think of when, we talk, when we're thinking about living, living for God. And live, is we start thinking about what would Jesus do, right? That's what we think about, doing right things. We've already talked about that a little bit. But that's not all that it is. Let's change that to not just what would Jesus do. We're going to talk about anointing today. Let's talk about what could Jesus do. That's what anointing means. That when I am operating, walking in the anointing, or his anointing is beginning to flow out in all areas of my life, that means everywhere I go, I can just stop a minute and say, what could Jesus do here? That's what the anointing is about. That when you, when you go to work this week, what if Jesus went to work? Not in your place, but went right there beside you. And you just look around and say, hmm, what could Jesus do here? That, that, that in, in, in your physical health, some of you, you know, you're struggling with physical health. If, if the next time you went to the doctor's office, what if, what, if, what if Jesus went with you then, and you just said, hmm, what could Jesus do here? You know, or, or, or your finances, you know, you start getting your checkbook out and trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to pay the bill. What if, what if you let Jesus help you with your budget this week? If you let Jesus get into your budget, and then you could just say, hmm, hmm, what could Jesus do? You know, the one that took five loaves and fish and fed 5,000 families and had 12 times as much left over when he was done than when he began. If that, if that kind of God was involved in your daily life, in your budget, and in your finances, what could Jesus do? That's what anointing means. It means it means anticipating what he could do and believing that now there's a power that is within me that God is sending out and he's doing into your family. If, if God lived in your house, I mean, if he didn't have that little sliver 
of time in your life, but you actually made him the hub in your house, then you could just step back and just say, mm-mm, what could Jesus do in this place today? What could Jesus do with my kids? What could Jesus do with my, with my relationship with my parents? What could Jesus do with my marriage? It just seems to, every time we almost get it back together, something happens and it falls apart. But when we make him the hub, when we take him out of the, we don't make him be relegated to that little spoke of an area of our life, but when we make him the hub, then we can actually step back and say, what could Jesus do in my marriage, in my life, in my job, in my education, in my decisions, in my finances, in my budget? What could Jesus do? How do I get there, Pastor? Glad you asked. Commit to a local church. Get in there and listen to people, other people. Find somebody who is walking in the anointing. Find someone who it just seems like, man, things, how, how do things work out? For them, find somebody like that. T.D. Jake said it this way. Find somebody, find somebody living where you want to live and move to their neighborhood. Now, he's not talking about actually moving to another house. He's talking metaphorically, spiritually speaking right here. Find somebody who is living the dream and move into their neighborhood. Get close to them. Ask them to be your mentor. Ask them to pray for you. Get close. You know, you can't do that if you're spectating on Sunday morning you got to commit there. So if I, had to, if I had to choose today, instead of having the whole world flowing toward me, I'd choose to have him flowing into me. That's what living the dream takes. It's when you choose to have him flowing into every part of your life. Not relegating him to just those few moments you have left over in the week. But choosing to have him. Live the dream. So how? This is just the beginning. How do I keep this going? How do I make this everything it can be? How do I live the dream? I told you four things last week. Remember four ordinary things that we do that release the extraordinary power of God into our life. And I've told you one more today. So let's review them real quick. Number one is read the Bible. Let me tell you this. I'm going I'm to upset some traditionalists here, or potentially. I don't care how much you read. I just want you to read a little bit every day. I'd rather you read one verse of Scripture every day of your life than to read a whole chapter one time a week. Okay? Read a little bit every day. If all you can do is one verse, then do that one verse every single day of your life. Read the Bible. It's about the daily. It's about the commitment. It's about the doing. Okay? It's about getting it in you, but it's about getting it in you regularly. You will be surprised when you start doing that of how a little verse that has nothing to do with your life today is like, well, that didn't help me. You'll be surprised at how it'll just tweak you a little bit. You'll be surprised how it happens. Okay, secondly is pray constantly. That's what Paul said, pray without ceasing, pray constantly. That's like today. When I had that opportunity I told you about just a few moments ago, as I'm going back to the car, I'm talking to God about it. God, remind me to pray for that lady again. Don't let it just be that moment. Remind me, and I'm talking to God about it. You know, you have, a, you have something good happen in your life, you know, on the way back to the car, say, God, thank you for that, and show me how to not mess it up now, God. You know, or you have something bad happen in your life, say, okay, God, now you see this thing going on, talking to God constantly. You know, that doesn't mean being on your knees all the time. It means talking to God constantly. Third, fast. Fast to keep you focused. You know, those, especially those things that keep getting in your way of your time with people around you, your time with God, the things that... The, the things that stick things into your uh, ideas and into your mind and heart that aren't God, 
you might not need just fast those. You might need to get rid of those, but you definitely need to at least be fasting them. And keep, keep those kinds of things under control. Don't let them get control. That's what fasting does for you. And, uh, and then um, make space to hear God. You're never going to hear God if he's just got that little sliver of your life. You've got to make some space. When you're driving down the road, make space. Let him, let him be in charge of your sleep. You know, I fight that sometimes. I'm like, God, you know, I really need to get a good night's rest tonight because I got some, I'm real busy tomorrow. I got I to gotta work tomorrow. You know, I got to minister tomorrow. God, you're going to have to let me sleep. And God just wants to keep me up because he wants to talk to me. Let God be in charge of your sleep too. Let God be in charge of your sleep because, I, you know what, I, I believe I have missed some of the most important messages from God because I wanted sleep instead. You know, just make space for God wherever, and commit to a local church. And if this ain't it, you are, I, I, Understand this, if this isn't it, I bless you to go find the place that cranks your tractor that says this is what I want to be a part of. But if this is it, roll up your sleeves, get in with both feet and say this is where I'm, God has planted me for me to help make the, this awesome dream happen in a lot more people's lives and say I'm here. I mean, Commit to it. This is how you begin to live the dream. This is how we go from that little sliver to allowing God to be the hub, to bring his power, to bring his wisdom to bring his anointing into every area of our life. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and pastoral staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer requests by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you, and as always, we dare you to dream.